Amen. Praise God. I, I love worshiping. It's always a treat for me to be able to come in here with you guys. I'm, I'm back there with the youth so much, and we have an amazing worship experience. But you can all, I'm telling you, if you haven't hooked up with this, if you haven't realized this, just keep pressing in because you, you can tell a difference whenever you're surrounded by believers who are pressing in. And the more, you know, if we all carry the presence of God with us and in us, and we all gather together as the church, that's going to do something. There's going to be movement in the kingdom of God. And whenever we come together and worship like this, you can feel that movement. So praise God. That's not what I'm talking about today, but man, I feel like I, I just could because that's just such a powerful topic, coming together as a church and, and worshiping. But we've, we've been in a series called Church Family, and I want to continue along that, that series today. Even though pastor's not here, we're going to continue talking about unity. And I want to throw this statement at you. And, and the first thing I'm going to say, I'm just saying, if you would write this down, write it down, and you're done. You can, you can get up, you can go eat lunch, be first in line. This first statement, if we could take this and apply it in our lives, you've got everything. And it's this. Satan is the enemy of your soul. And his foot in the door is your selfishness. Let me say that to myself. I'm not just, I'm not talking at you. Trust me. Satan is the enemy of my soul. And the foot, his foot in the door in my life is my selfishness. That, that's the, the reality of it. You see, every, every sin, every sin that's ever been uh, performed, every sin that you've ever been involved in, that I've ever been involved in, that from the creation of the world, every sin has been rooted in selfishness. Every sin. Let me, let me show you this. Galatians chapter 5, verse 14 says, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So you can't love your neighbor as yourself if you're being selfish. Every sin is rooted in selfishness. So no matter what it is, big, small, you know, big lie, little white lie, thought it didn't hurt anyone, what was the motivation behind it? Selfishness. Satan is the enemy of your soul. And his foot in the door is your own selfishness. Now, I want to show you something this morning that changed my life. And I don't mean in a little way. I mean completely changed my life and completely changed my perspective in life because sometimes that's all we need is a perspective change. You know, if you don't have the right perspective in a situation, you can make the, right, the wrong call. And I want to show you something that I saw. I saw this, I'm going to say about 15, maybe 20 years ago. When I saw this, my entire perspective on life changed. My entire perspective on God changed. Now, what I want to show you is so seemingly insignificant that it's actually already on the screen. And you probably didn't pay much attention to it. You're probably thinking, nope, not that. <laughs> no, can we go back to the, there we go. Now, that was pretty significant. But this is seemingly insignificant. Now, just really quick, just so I know, does anyone, just raise your hand, does anyone know what you're looking at? One. one. A star, yeah, okay. This is a famous picture. This picture is called the pale blue dot. Anybody ever heard of that? No. This picture was taken from Voyager 1, a space exploration satellite that was sent out by NASA in 1977. This photo was taken in 1990. So they sent out Voyager in 1977, September 5th. It travels across our solar system. It reaches the end of our solar system, and NASA sends it a command, says, before you leave our solar system, I want you to turn around and take a picture of Earth. So that is what you're looking at. And if, if you can even see it on the screen, there is a little white dot suspended in a ray of sunlight. And that is Earth. And that's where we're at right now. That little bitty speck. That picture was taken from 3.7 billion miles away. 
The picture was taken on February 15, 1990. It took two and a half months for the picture to download back to Earth. Yeah, y'all remember slow dial-up internet downloading? <laughs> this is to the extreme. Two and a half months. And this is the picture that they got. What's crazy about this little, this little speck suspended is Voyager is still going. 45-year mission still going. It is approaching 15 billion miles away from Earth. That photo was taken at 3.7 billion. It's at 15 billion right now, or about to. What's so crazy about this is everything that has ever happened has happened on that little speck. Every baby born, every death, every friendship, every first date, every marriage, every divorce, every crime, every murder, every sin, every little white lie, everything. Baby's first step happened on that speck, an image from 3.7 billion miles away. And when I look at this, and when I looked at this, I realized just how small I really am. This is, this is only at the edge of our solar system. We're not even talking about our galaxy and the billions of galaxies that are in the space that God created. And it gave me the perspective of just how seemingly insignificant I am. Just how small I am. I want to show you what, what David, Psalmist David, how he describes space. In Psalm 8, verse 3, now I'm going to do something a little different today. I'm just going to leave that up there. I know you're used to scriptures popping up. I'm just going to leave that on the screen. So as we talk, and if I say something you don't like, I just want you to look at that little speck and go, you know what? All right, y'all are following me. David said this. David didn't have this picture. David said in Psalm 8, verse 3, he said, When I look at your heavens... The works of your finger, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? He didn't even get to see this look back on earth. He's just looking away from earth, looking at God's creation and says, God, when I look at what you created, who am I? Who am I that you would even care about me? Paul wrote this. And I, as I read this, I, I just imagine if Paul had had this image, I guarantee you this image would have been in our Bibles. We would have had kid Bibles. It would have been the only image put in the Bible, but he would have used it when he wrote this scripture. Romans chapter 12, verse 3, he says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. See, he would have used that image and said, listen, I want to show you. I want to give you a perspective of just how seemingly insignificant we are. How tiny we are on this little bitty speck. And Paul writes, don't think of yourself. And I say to myself, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. And, and to, to make it in, in practical terms, I would say, don't think that your issues are more important than they really are. Don't think that you're, the things that you're facing are bigger than what they really are. Don't think that your opinion is more valuable than, really, than it really is. So that's how we start getting really practical when we, when we apply it this way. Satan, the enemy of your soul, Satan wants you to think every problem you have, every issue you have, every hurt, Every wrong that's been done to you, every opinion, every, every time your feelings have been hurt, he wants you to think it is the biggest, most massive, enormous thing in this world. And I'm not going to belittle. I know that there are, there are really hurtful things, and there are bad things, and there are terrible things that happen. And I'm not belittling that, but there is a perspective change that has to happen in our lives if we're going to be protected from the enemy of our soul, knowing that all these things that have happened have happened on this little speck. 
That's where they've taken place. And God wants us to know that we don't need to walk around thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. You know, God knows what happens whenever we start thinking inwardly. Whenever we start existing in an inwardly manner and our focus is on ourselves. Do you know that's part of what life groups do in our lives? It gets us outside of our normal, everyday, me, my, take care of myself, me and my family, which is valuable, which we need to do. But it gets us out of that, and we begin investing into others. We begin forming relationships with others because God knows what happens whenever we start thinking inwardly in our life. When we start getting so focused on the inwardness of us, what we have to do, what we have to accomplish, what our wills are, what our, our plans are, Destruction comes. Listen to this. God, Jesus gives us this warning in Luke chapter 17, verse 32. He says, Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will keep it. And you know the story. Lot's wife, she turns around. Sodom and Gomorrah is being destroyed. Fire and sulfur is falling from heaven. And she turns around. She looks back. What is she looking back at? Her former life? Her life? You know, I think about these things when I read the Bible. Like, I don't just read the Bible and go, well, Lot's wife. I read and go, Lot's, Lot's wife was a mother. There were kids involved. You know, I, I just, I look at this and I go, her, her whole life is destroyed because of inward thinking. The same apostle, Paul, who, who said, don't think of yourself too highly, he wrote this in 2 Corinthians 4, 17. I hope you're ready for a lot of scripture today because we got a bunch in here. I'll get you out before noon, I promise. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. Paul says, after he tells us, he tells us, don't, don't think too highly of ourselves. The same guy, he says, for this light, momentary, Affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. When Paul looked at his own life, he said, this is, this is temporary. This, this light, momentary affliction. I just wonder how many times in our own lives we look at whatever we're facing. And I know that everyone in here, every family represented in here, you are, you've got some stuff that you're facing. You've got some difficulties. You have some challenges that you are facing on a day-in, day-out basis. Things with, with family, with loved ones, with kids. Real issues. I'm not belittling those. But Paul said this is a light momentary affliction. And what he was facing, prison, beatings. Why? Because of perspective. Not because it wasn't real. Not because it wasn't really happening. Not because it wasn't really hurting. But because of perspective. And the perspective is, is everything that's ever happened has happened on this little bitty creation, this little bitty speck. And in light of eternity, in light of eternity, whatever happens in your, let's just throw out a happy number, 100 years of life, right? Everybody can be hunting. I didn't want to throw like 50, 60 out there. Some of y'all are like, hmm. I know. In your short hundred years of life, what does it matter what happened to you, what someone did to you, what someone said the wrong way, someone, someone said somebody did this, somebody didn't do this right? What does it matter 10,000 years from now? In, in light of eternity, see, perspective change. In light of eternity, what does it matter? Well, it does matter how you handle it. It does matter how you respond to it, but that light, temporary affliction, that light, temporary pain, it's not going to matter. He says, for the things that are seen are transient, or they last a short time, but the things that are unseen are eternal. You know, unity in, in the church, unity in the body of Christ becomes a whole lot easier for us to obtain when we as individuals realize just how insignificant we really are. I, I say that to myself. I'm not, I know, listen, I know we all grew up and our mommy told us, you are special. 
and you still are to her. All I'm saying is, in light of eternity, in light of God's creation, in light of God's story thousands of years, we play a very small, tiny role here in central Louisiana to God's story and God's kingdom. But Satan wants you to think whatever you're facing, whatever issue, whatever wrong, whatever offense, it's the biggest thing in the world. It's the most important thing, and you should take all your energy, all your time, all your focus, and you should invest it into this issue. That's what Satan wants you to do. Satan wants you to get focused on you. He wants you to get so focused on you, so focused on your ideas, so focused on your opinions, so focused inwardly on you, so that when someone disagrees with you, how could they? I've invested my life into agreeing with myself. Who is this that would disagree with me, that would have a different opinion? And listen, I know I'm making light of it, it sounds silly, but that is the reality of Satan's attack, the enemy of your soul. That is his attack on our life. He wants you to think so inwardly so that you can be offended. See, even that word in the church world is offensive. If you tell someone you're offended, well, that's offensive. I'm not offended. Then we try to use a different word. But let me just say this. This is not just a church issue. You know, it, it kind of which one, chicken or the egg, which one comes first? Satan wants to destroy the church, and he wants to destroy the family. And he will try either one first. Can he destroy the family unit to destroy the church? Can he destroy the church to destroy the individual family? It, take your pick. Offense happens in the church. It happens in families. I see entire families get torn apart over, like, well, Aunt Janet wanted to bring the potato salad, and, you know, Tiffany wanted to bring her dirty rice, and everybody knows that I, I make the best pecan pie. Why do we have to get Brittany's pecan pie? It's not even good. And then there's a fight, and I'm going, Wait, what? Now, you know, as soon as I'm telling that silly example, you're thinking of one. There was something that happened, and Thanksgiving is coming up, so y'all need to be prepared. Satan wants you to get so focused on yourself, so focused on your opinion, that when someone disagrees with it, you're offended. Can, can I just say, I, I just want to say this, and don't get too mad at me. Pastor Josh will be back next week, so don't get too mad at me. But it's, can we just all agree that the kingdom of God is not about your opinion or my opinion? Amen. That's just not what it's about. But Satan wants to make it that. And he wants to get us tripped up over this. Satan wants you offended. He wants you offended, and he will use selfishness to get it. Make no mistake about it, Satan's goal is to get you in a place of offense so that he can steer you, so that he can cause anger, so that he can cause division. In the church, in your family, in your job, in relationships, he causes division. Jesus said he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. I, I want to give you this example in the Bible. And you're probably familiar with this, but I just want to give you this scenario. We're going to go through the book of Luke, chapter 8 through 9, a little bit of 10. We're not going to read the whole thing. I just want to show you this scenario and how it plays out in Scripture. So we're going to start in Luke chapter 8, verse 41. This is the story of Jairus' daughter. It says, And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue, and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. Now go to verse, verse 49. So Jesus, Jesus uh, agrees to go, and he says, So, verse 49, Someone from the ruler's house, as Jesus is going, came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, do not fear, only believe. She will be well. Go to verse 51. And when he came, when Jesus came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. How offensive would it be if you were the other nine who didn't get selected? 
Can we just be real when we talk about the Bible? He, he had, a, you know, we know about the 12 disciples, right? I mean, this, this wasn't just Peter, James, and John following along with him. It was clear that there were other people there in this picture. And Jesus said, I want you, you, and you come with me. I have a mission for you. I have a purpose for you. The rest of you sit here. How offensive would that be? But I want to read this ne next passage to you. Because there is a danger in getting offended. Satan wants to get you out of the will of God, out of his plan for your life. And I want to show you what would have happened had one of them become offended. Wow, wow. I mean, I've been following Jesus around for, for all these years. I'm, I'm a nice person. I've got good ideas. I've got good opinion. How come he didn't choose me? Well, look at Luke chapter 9, verse 1. So just a few verses later. Jesus says, and he, Jesus, called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Well, what's, what's Jesus doing now? Well, now he chose all twelve. He had a different mission. He had a different purpose, and this time he didn't say, Peter, James, and John, I want y'all to go, go do it. He said, no, I want all twelve of you to go do this. And they do. They go out, and they, they preach the gospel, and they heal, and they cast out demons. And they're being used in a mighty, powerful way. But can you imagine if one of them would have got tripped up just a few moments later? Well, he didn't, he didn't ask me to go in there you know, and pray. I, I don't know if I can follow this guy anymore. Now, God had a purpose for him, for, for them. He had a plan. Luke chapter 10, verse 1. Here we go. Jesus is at it again. Luke chapter 10, verse 1 says, After this, or actually, let me, uh, let me back up. Let me go to Luke chapter 9, verse 28. It says, Now about eight days after this, a few things had transpired. About eight, eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. So we've got this scenario where Jesus takes Peter, James, and John. They go in and they pray with the family. The little girl's raised to life. Then he, he selects the twelve to go out and do his mission. Now he's back at it a few verses later. They say, hey, Peter, James, John, we're about to go up on this mountain and we're going to pray. How offensive. How offensive might that be if you're one of the other disciples and you go, wait a minute. Jesus, you just chose me. You just gave me this power and asked me to go out and perform your mission. And now you're going to have a prayer meeting with just them. How come I didn't get selected? I mean, can you imagine some of the other disciples having this conversation? Because I can I mean, Andrew's looking at Matthew and Bartholomew, and they're just like, hey, what's going on with this? How come we didn't get invited to this prayer meeting? We should, we should have been up on that mountain. How, I mean, has he heard me pray? When I pray, people get healed. I'm, I'm just saying, that could have been, but I don't think it was. I don't think that was the conversation. I know Satan would have wanted that to be the conversation. Luke chapter 10, verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out ahead of him two by two in every town and place where he himself was about to go. What is Jesus doing? He has a plan and a purpose to build the kingdom of God. And in this moment, he needs this person. And in this moment, he needs this group of people. And, in this, and how he chooses to operate. But can you, can you just imagine, if this scenario plays out in the modern church world, how easy it would be to get offended. If I, you know, if anyone, anyone in leadership, a pastor, a pastor should be able to select and say, God is leading me to select you for this purpose. We're, we're going to be doing this area of ministry. And, and maybe you don't get selected, but maybe you get selected for the next thing. I don't know what it looks like. We can make hypotheticals all day. The bottom line is God had a plan and a purpose, and we can't get offended when he operates that way. Let me, let me say this. I, because this happens, this, this, this just happens. I, I've been in ministry for almost two decades, and this happens. It happens to me personally. Last week, I was so glad when Pastor said that he has opportunity to get offended. He has opportunity to get hurt because it's true. It, it happens. Thing, things are, we get blamed for a lot. I, here, here's one of the things that I get blamed for. I get blamed for holding someone back. Well, if you would, you're, you're just not letting me do this. You're just not letting me do that. You're, let me show you scripture. I just want to, I want to prove to you that it's not me, that I'm not a bad guy. I can't stop you from being promoted. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourself, therefore, 
under the mighty hand of God, so at, at the proper time, he may exalt you. Thank you for thinking so highly of me or any other pastor that you think I have the power to stop God. I, I don't. I don't. And, and no pastor does. When we follow this scripture, when you humble yourself under God, he'll exalt you. I can't, I can't either, I can't stop you or exalt you. Not in God's proper timing. Matter of fact, if I was to exalt someone in an improper time, it's going to hurt that person. And ultimately, that's what we care the most about is people. But I can't stop you, and no pastor can, and no boss can, and no family member can stop you. That's, that's an easy thing to get upset. I see people who've worked at a job for 20 years, served in a, in a, in a career, and oh well, hey, they're you know, man's holding me down. No, man's not. God provides the the exalting. First Corinthians chapter eleven, verse fourteen. This, this applies to the church. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I'm not the hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would make it, that wouldn't make it any less part of the body. Verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But listen to this, verse 18. But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. As he chose. That as he chose. This is God's ability. God, this is exactly what Jesus did with his disciples. He said, Peter, James, John, I am choosing you to be a part of this area of ministry. The rest of you, I'm choosing you to be a part of this. Why? Because everyone has different gifts. Everyone has different abilities. Everyone has different God-given gifts. And there are things that I can do that you can't, and there are things that you do that I can't do. And when we are working together in unity, putting, putting selfishness aside and promoting each other, looking at the value of someone else. So that there are some people in here, you are so friendly. You are, I, I try to be friendly. I try to have a smile. Um, I don't always. But there are some of you in here, I, I'm looking at you now going, you never don't have a smile. Like, I think that is a gift of God and a valuable part of the body of Christ. There's some of you in here that you are gifted with kids. Kids love you. That's a gift that needs to be used in the body of Christ. And some of you are going, you put me in kids. <laughs> you see, we can understand it when we, when we talk about it this way. This is how the body of Christ works. We all have different gifts, but we can't be competing with each other. We can't be frustrated. Well, well, their gift looks way cooler than mine. Selfishness. That's what it comes down to. Because I can promise you this. Promise you this. The person that faithfully serves God in the area that they've called them to serve in is not getting any less reward than anyone that has one of the cool gifts. And one of the, the gifts that you know, might be on stage or seem to be promoted or out front. I, that's just not how the kingdom of God works. Selfishness is from the flesh, and we have to be willing to let the flesh die. Selfishness comes from the flesh, and we have to be willing to let our flesh die. Now, y'all got a little preview of this, but I want to show you real quick. It is a quick 17-second video that I want you to see. No audio, but let's show it. Wow. Now, if you've never seen that, it's a video I keep on my phone. I've had it for years. I just keep it on my phone. Every once in a while, I watch it. That is uh, obviously a, a bull rider. He was a teenager. He fell off. His bull was incapacitated, knocked out. And his dad runs over and jumps on his son. Lays down his life for his son. Now, he didn't die, thank God. But he was willing to. 
He was willing to lay down his life, lay down his flesh to save his son's flesh. I don't know any of you in this room that wouldn't have done the same thing. We would all have done the same thing. I would have done that for any one of my daughters. The hard part is we'll lay down our flesh to save flesh. But can I just say as a youth pastor, it's far, far few and in between that I see parents lay down their selfishness, lay down their pride, lay down their sin, lay down their offense to save their kid's spiritual life. It's far, far too often. What I see is that's actually the easy thing to do. You don't even have to think about it. If your child's life was in danger, you don't even have to think about it. Every one of us would jump in front of a moving car right now. But after two decades of youth ministry, it is far, far few in between that I see a parent lay down those things to save their kid's spiritual life. I want to talk to you about the role of sin in division. I have seen, let me just, let me just get real with you for a moment. I have seen kids experience the presence of God. I have seen kids be filled with the Spirit of God. I've seen kids receive callings to ministry. And I've seen good, well-loving, you know, around this area, we call them good old boys. Good old boys. You know, the kind of guy, woman, you know, like, you know, I'm going to stop and help anyone. You get the shirt off my back. You know, that, that, that's where we live in the South, right? We would do anything to save the flesh but far too often, we're not willing to do anything to save the spirit. And I see kids encounter God. And then I see Satan sneak in because of selfishness, because the enemy of our soul, his foot in the door is selfishness. And I'll see kids that are filled with the spirit of God, called to ministry. And then Satan will begin to work on the, the parent's life. He'll rip them out, rip them apart. I can't tell you how many times my, my shoulder has been soaking wet from teenagers' tears as they're crying because a parent is getting a divorce. They're crying because we're, we're talking about sin. If you didn't know this, we don't just feed them pizza back there. We don't just play video games back there. You'd be amazed at the amount of teenagers that will cry their eyes out praying to God for their parents. But if Satan gets a foothold, he's going after the parents. Because believe me, his goal is absolutely your kids. That's his goal. But see, sin, sin is offensive to your spirit. Sin's offensive to my spirit. Galatians chapter 5 verse 16 says, I, But I say, walk by the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for they are opposed to each other. The flesh does not like to hear that you're living in sin. Doesn't like to hear it. It hurts. It stings. The spirit and the flesh are against each other. And when spiritual truth comes into our life, the flesh gets upset. That's why being told that you are living in sin, that's why if something gets pointed out in your life that, listen, that, that is sin. That goes against God's word. It's offensive. It hurts. It stings. But I just want to say this. As a body of believers, as a church, we should be able to have these conversations. We should be able to have these loving conversations where we sit down, and I'm not just saying pastor to believer to believer, and say, hey, listen, friend, brother, sister, whoever, that's sin. This, this needs to get out of your life. I want to help you. This can't stay in your life. But for the sake of this conversation, 
A pastor needs to be able to talk about sin in your life. If a pastor can't talk about sin in your life, there is a problem. There is selfishness and pride going on in your life. And look, I get it. I get it that it hurts. I get it that it stings. But you know, there are three things that happen when sin grabs hold of you. There are three things that happen immediately in your life. There is shame, there is separation or division, and there's blame. Almost immediately. Let me show you really quickly in, in Genesis chapter 3. This is shame. Chapter 3, verse 7. You know, Adam and Eve, they just ate the fruit. It says, And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths. Why? Because they realized they were naked and they were ashamed, like every one of you would do in this room right now. They realized that their eyes were open. They had sinned, and shame instantly came in. I get it. When you're talking about sin, it can be shameful. It can be embarrassing. I get it. Verse 8, this is division. And they heard the sound of the Lord, God, walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees in the garden. Shame came in. They decided, we've got to get away from this. We've got to get away from, we've got to get away from God's presence. You know, that is Satan's goal in our life. Get in through selfishness, cause sin to happen, let that shame take over, and cause division. And then the next thing that happened, Genesis chapter 3, verse 12, the man said, The woman who you gave to me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. And then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, No, it was the serpent. He deceived me, and I ate. Sin causes shame, division, and blame. Instantly. I'm just going to tell you, as a youth pastor, I can almost always tell you when sin has got one of your teenagers wrapped up. If you want to know, just ask me. I can almost always tell you. And here's why. Because when they're a sixth grader, I am the coolest guy in the world. I'm just telling you. I, we went bowling last week, and I had sixth graders running up and hugging me. I, you know, that's not a cool thing to do, but they don't care. They, they just, and I know as they get older, you know, that, that kind of stops. But it doesn't just stop from, you know, the cute factor. They go from, we're hanging out, we're fist bumping, they're happy to see me, to now they're walking in like this. Then, shame takes over. Next thing you know, they don't even want to be around me. Is it anything that I've done? No. It's sin. Sin has brought shame into their life. Sin is causing division. And then when you talk to them or you talk to anyone, when we talk to people about sin, the blame game starts. Ministry can be tough. Listen, I took my kids to Old Mel's Farm. I don't know if y'all have ever been out there. It's a great little farm. They've got bulls and chickens and ducks and goats and you name it. We're out there and my kids are they're riding on the horses. And I look over and there's this goat. And he has stuck his head in one of those wire fences. And you know a goat, he's got horns, so that head went in no problem, but it is not coming out. Well, you know, I just have compassion on animals. So I'm looking over there, and I'm, I'm waiting for one of the workers, and they don't, I'm like, ah. So I just go over there. I grab that thing by the horns. As I push, it pulls. Okay, so I'm going to pull, and it pushes. All right. It's just fighting me. I cannot get this thing. So then one of the workers comes over. She gets on top of the goat. She's just got it just bear hugged. And now I am forcing this goat. I thought I was going to kill this goat. It was, it was terrible. Like I'm going, I'm going to kill this goat in front of my, my kids. This is, and so it's, it's just fighting me. And all I'm trying to do is get this goat's head out. I'm thinking, you got here. I'm just trying to help you. And then I finally get it, and the fence just slices my arm. Now I've got blood, and I'm going, this is, this is about right. Can I just tell you that's how ministry feels sometimes? When, when, thing, when things are out of balance, when you're, when you're talking with someone who has an, it's out of, out of balance with, with selfishness. I'm going, man, you got yourself in. I just looked at you with compassion. 
I just want to help you, and now I'm cut and bleeding. What, what, what is this? I want to show you, because he, here's, here's the question you should be asking right now. What's going on in a pastor's mind when you're talking about sin? Like, let's just paint a, an imaginary scenario that we're sitting down, we're having coffee. You know, maybe you're, maybe you're in pastor's office, and you're having coffee. Maybe you're not having coffee. Whatever you want to imagine, but the topic is sin. There's a sin in your life. There's something that has grabbed hold of you. Satan wants to destroy your life through it, and there's a pastor who wants to help you. What is he thinking Make up whatever sin you want. Make it as, as horrific as you want. You're involved in it. You're in that conversation. What's going on in the pastor's head? Can I just tell you, I can't think or look at anyone in any other way than how God looks at them. I can't. And I want to show you how Jesus looks at someone. John chapter 8, verse 3 says, the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. See, I don't know if that was the sin y'all were imagining, but there we go. That's a big one. A woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commands us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his fingers on the ground. As they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Verse 8 says, And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with this woman, woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. I am not allowed to look at anyone any other way than how Jesus looks at this woman with compassion, concern, and I want to help. I want you to know that's my attitude towards every one of your teenagers. That's my attitude towards you. I know that's pastor's attitude, our heart, and our mindset towards anyone and everyone because we know the reality of what happens when sin is involved, when sin takes root in our lives. It's we, we, we have compassion. Let's have a compassionate conversation. Let's talk about the love of God. Let's talk about the reality of how we can get this sin out of your life. Let's, let's talk about how we can get this shame away. Let's talk about how we can stop this division that's happening, maybe in the church or maybe in your family, maybe with your kids. Let's talk about these things from a heart of love and compassion. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. There is a healing process that needs to take place when sin has grabbed hold of you. And we as believers, we as a body of, of Christ, we need to help each other with this, praying for each other that we might be healed. It says the prayer of a righteous person has great power. See, Satan, the enemy of your soul, does not want you to know this. He does not want you to know that whenever sin has you wrapped up, that your option is get help, get prayer, get powerful prayer to help you from a compassionate pastor who loves you and wants the very best for you. But Satan wants to cause shame, division, and blame, and he wants to destroy your life. And he's going after your kids. That's the reality of what we're talking about today. Believe me, you just thought, you just thought your sin was a problem. Wait until Satan gets you separated from God's church. Then it becomes a real problem. James 5.19 describes it this way. He says, My brother, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death 
and cover a multitude of sins. Save his soul from death because Satan has gotten in and Satan wants to destroy you. Save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Satan wants you selfish, offended, separated, living in sin. That is his goal. Paul gives us this warning. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Because what, what should our response be? What, what is your response and what is my response to a message like this? When we talk about the reality of sin, when we talk about the reality of Satan wanting to destroy your life, to cause shame and division, what should our response be? Well, first, we need to take an honest look at ourselves an honest look of ourselves compared to Scripture, not compared to someone else. Well, we can get off track quick if we start comparing, well, I'm not as bad as. But whenever we compare ourselves up against Scripture and we take warnings that Scripture gives us, Paul gives us this warning in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. He says, but understand this. In the last days, there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self. I don't know about you, but I have not experienced anything like we're experiencing right now with people being lovers of themselves. I feel like if this term would have been around, you know, 2,000 years ago, it would have been lovers of selfie. I mean, my goodness. You can't go grocery shopping without seeing someone taking their phone, working to try to get the best angle so they can post it on five different social medias. Or I was walking down the bread aisle, and there were teenagers. They had their phone propped up on the peanut butter, doing a little dance so they could post it on social media. But it's all about them. Listen, I'm not the anti-social media police, but I am, hey, let's wake up and realize that it is all designed to feed Self. It's all designed to feed selfishness. That's what it's doing. And that's what it's doing in, in teenagers' lives and adults' lives. I'm going to leave that right there. We have to change our perspective. We have to change our perspective in how we see ourselves as individuals and as a part of the church. And that's why I wanted to show you this picture today. Because it helps us to change our perspective. And when Satan comes in and he says, hey, listen, that issue, that thing, you remember, you remember that person, they said that thing to you? You remember when you didn't get selected for this? Remember when you weren't a part? Our perspective. But you know what? In light of eternity, in light of God's creation, no. No, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose to change my perspective. I, I can't tell you how many times I have been hurt, offended. There, I said it. I have been offended. And you've probably been offended by someone, by something. Somebody didn't say something just right. Somebody forgot your birthday. Somebody forgot your anniversary. Man, don't, don't forget the anniversary. Like, girl, I, I get it. Don't, don't forget that stuff. But somebody at some point has done something to you. They have done it to me, and I have said, you know what? Perspective change. In light of eternity, I am not allowing Satan to have a foothold in my life. And then I have to ask myself, why does it bother me so much anyway? I have selfishness that I need to deal with. I'm worried about me. I'm worried about how this is going to make me look. How is this going to make me feel? It's selfishness. And we have to change our perspective. Ephesians chapter 4, last scripture I want to give you this morning. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord. This is, this is Paul writing again. He said, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. How do we walk in that? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, yet patience with that person that just, you know, they just get on your nerves. They, ju they just can't ever seem to just get it right. Maybe patience with that new believer who just, they don't have it just all figured out yet. Maybe it's that person at work. You just need 
patience. Why? Because we're walking in a manner worthy of the calling, worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Bearing with one another in love. Listen to this, verse 3. Eager to maintain. Eager. Eager to maintain. Maintain. Keep it together. Maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That is what we are called to do. Listen to me. If you are a part of the body of Christ, this is your calling. You don't have to worry about whether or not you're chosen to do this, selected, a part of it. This is your calling. We are all called to take selfishness and lay it aside. We're all called to stop looking at ourselves as individuals and look at ourselves as part of the body of Christ. So that Satan doesn't have a foothold in our life. So that the enemy of our soul no longer has selfishness to sneak in and cause division. As I've already said, if, if you listen to me, if you have kids in this room, he is not after you. He wants to destroy your kids' lives through your own selfishness. And we have got to be able to stand up to that. We have got to be able to let our flesh die. All that selfishness comes from our flesh, and we have to let it die. And I want to say one more thing about this little speck, and then we're going to pray. But this is a perspective change that I made. This little bitty, seemingly insignificant speck that wouldn't even have been big enough to see had it not somehow been suspended in a ray of light. God looked at that speck and he said, I'm going to send my son Jesus to die for every person on that little speck. He said, on Jesus, I'm going to build my church on that little bitty speck. And he said, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church that I am building on that little, bitty, pale, blue dot suspended out there in space. Jesus sent his son to die for us all. Can I just tell you this morning, it doesn't matter where you're at, where you're at in life, what you're going through. Whether you're close to God or far from God, God loves you. God loves you. And this seemingly insignificant little, little speck. He said, I love you so much that my son is going there. And my son is going to die for you there. And I'm going to raise him back to life so that you can put your faith in that as well. So that you would be raised to new life as well. So that was a perspective change for me. That made me realize that whatever sin was happening in my life, God was way bigger. Whatever sin, however huge I thought it was. God was way bigger. I needed a perspective change. And for some of us in this room, we need a perspective change on the sin in our life. God is stronger, bigger, more powerful, and he can help you. But don't, don't short-circuit God's process. Don't remove God from the process of getting set free from sin in your life by allowing Satan to have a foothold because of selfishness. Can I pray for you this morning?